Ever gotten acupuncture? Curious about acupuncture? I first got acupuncture years ago, and I've been fascinated by it ever since. On today's show, we're going to talk with San Francisco acupuncturist Janice Feichtmeier, who uh, she's going to tell us all about acupuncture, from what it's about, from needles to herbs and more. So don't go anywhere. Matthew Felix on air starts now. Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, people who create, people who make a difference, coming to you from WordSpace Studios in San Francisco, California. Hope you had a great week. For me, it was another busy one. In addition to clips from last week's show with New York Times bestselling mystery writer Kara Black, I uploaded video excerpts from my talk in December with NPR's uh, storyteller Doug Cordell. And... Um, as I announced last week, I created a new YouTube channel for Matthew Felix on air. I already had one for me, just my author channel, but I created one specifically for the show so that I could upload just clips from each show, two to five minute clips uh, related to specific questions or specific topics that we covered over the course of our conversation. And uh, of course, I'm still uploading the entire episodes for people who want to watch the entire hour, but a lot of people just want easily digested, you know, bits and pieces. So for those people, the excerpts are out there. And to check out the show channel, you can go to YouTube and just search for Matthew Felix on air. This week, I also continued memorizing and staging and practicing my one-man show that will be um, that I'll be performing as part of the Marsh Theater's Monday Night Marsh series. And I'm really excited to be part of the series and get accepted for that. I will uh, be performing on Monday, March 11th and Monday, March 25th, and it's for performers who are um, working on, you know, they're working on developing shows. So if you're going to be in San Francisco in March, please come by and see my show. Tickets are on sale now at themarsh.org, or you can buy them the night of the show, assuming that they're still available. And of course, there's no guarantee. So buy them now. Something else I should mention is that last week I released an episode of my Travelers, what's it called? Travelers on Travel podcast. And that podcast features archival episodes from when this show was still at the internet radio station and hadn't moved yet to Facebook Live or the other platforms that it's now on. Last week's episode featured writers Michael Shapiro and Jacqueline Yao talking about their trip to Cuba including some of the uh, incredible kindness that they showed some Cuban kids while they were there. So check that one out. And then this week, I'll be releasing my interview with photographer Bob Holmes. And this was a great interview. Um, it was a lot of fun. It was very funny. And uh, it's also in my Words and Images podcast. But I wanted to include it in Travelers on Travel as well because it has a big travel component. And just some of the things I talked about with Bob... Uh, he worked with the Queen of England, so we talked about that experience. He uh, was friends with Ansel Adams, so we talked about that friendship. And we also talked about his escape from Himalayan captors. So like I said, it's a really great episode, very much worth checking out. So please do. Last thing before we start today's show is next week it's going to be all about jazz. And a few months ago, I was on a panel for Bay Area travel writers at a jazz club south of the city. And the owner gave this talk about jazz and about his establishment and about the history of jazz and the state of jazz today and all that kind of stuff. 
And the whole time he was talking, I was just fascinated, and I thought, I really want to have him on my show. And so I reached out to him this week, and he's available next week. So uh, that is Pascal Bocar. I'm not sure how you pronounce the last name, TM, TM. Uh, but anyway, Pascal is, again, owner of the Savannah Jazz Club just south of the city. And so I'm really looking forward to having him on the show. Okay, after this quick message from my sponsors, Word Space Studios, we'll be back to talk with acupuncturist Janice Feichtmeier. A quick thanks to WordSpace Studio in San Francisco for sponsoring Matthew Felix on Air. WordSpace's mission is to bring together writers and thinkers of all ages and experiences. WordSpace will soon be offering creative writing workshops, a literary book club, and guided writing groups. And WordSpace is already offering writing residencies. They are submission-based, and they provide writers with room and board for up to one month. To find out more, you can email info at wordspacestudios.com. Janice Feichtmeier, licensed acupuncturist, is co-founder of Clouds Rest Healing Center in San Francisco. After completing her master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine in 1989, she traveled to Nanjing, China, and completed advanced coursework at the Nanjing College of Traditional Chinese Medicine. Upon her return, she began a decades-long study, decade-long study with Taoist priest Jeffrey Yuen, who presented a more in-depth and complex understanding of traditional Chinese medicine with an emphasis on its spiritual roots. Janice has also studied the use of Western supplements and diet and integrates findings in the field of functional medicine, which is using food and supplements to help balance different organ systems, into her practice. In addition to private practice, for years, Janice was involved in offering acupuncture care in the uh, public health care settings. She served as a faculty member of ACTCM, supervising students providing acupuncture care at the Women's Community Clinic in San Francisco. She also provided adjunct ear acupuncture services to recovery settings, including the San Francisco Drug Court, the San Francisco County Jail, the Olaf Recovery Program, and the Epiphany Center for Families in Recovery. Most importantly, when all other options, including Western allopaths, a neurologist, chiropractor, and I can't even remember how many other people I went to, were proving utterly, utterly ineffective for a nerve situation that I had in my leg, Janice managed to get a painful and frightening nerve condition, my condition, under control, forever converting me to a huge fan of acupuncture. So, welcome Janice. Thank you. I forgot that. You forgot that? That's yeah, how it all began. Yeah, right. I have been a diehard acupuncture supporter and converter, and anytime somebody has an ailment that they're struggling with, I'm like, you got to try acupuncture ever since then. Normally, people choose it as a last, last resort. It's interesting. They choose that. Well, and that's, yeah, how, I, that, and that's how I chose it, right? Yeah. You know, yeah. like You've I said, through I, everything else. I had gone through everything else, mm -hmm. and I had heard of acupuncture, but it was just this thing that was sort of out there. I didn't know anyone who had... I didn't know that I knew anyone who had had it. And then, yeah. you know, a friend who was one of your patients mm -hmm. said, uh, you know, you should try acupuncture. And I thought, okay, at this point, you know, what have I, what have I got to lose? Yeah. And it just, it just blew me away. It yeah. just blew me away. Um, well, maybe I'll just tell that story just really quickly too, just to give people an idea of why, because now that I've almost told the story, maybe I'll just tell the story. So I had a, um, something was going on with my leg. There was a nerve, a nerve, it's kind of like, um, what's that? What's the most common one? Neuropathy? No, not neuropathy. Um, sciatica. Oh. It was sort of like a sciatica sort of thing. And it was just getting worse and worse. And I had these stinging pains. And I had this, it felt like cold water was running down my leg. And sometimes it felt like someone was putting a cigarette out in my leg. I mean, it was just really painful. And it was getting mm. hard. The leg was actually getting hard. 
And like I said, I went to allopaths, which are just, you know, Western medicine, Western doctors. I went to chiropractors. I went to lots of different modalities, basically. Nothing was working. Mm -hmm. And I went to you and you said, and this is one of the things that really sold me. You said, uh, well, I don't know if I can help you, but we'll try. And I just thought just that humility and just that, you know, out from the get go saying, I'm not professing to, to, you know, to have all the answers here. I'm not professing that acupuncture is going to be what you need, but let's try. Mm -hmm. And then I walked out of that session and it felt not exaggerating. And I know I told you this at the time, but it's been however many years it's been. It felt as if someone had taken a chisel to my leg and all these pieces were moving around in it. Mm -hmm. And I was, like I said, I was just blown away. And then I think we did treatment for that for six to nine months and it's completely under control. And sometimes I can do things to aggravate it again. Mm. But, um, you know, and then of course I've gone to you for lots of other things since then. But that was the thing just, uh, it just blew me away. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, but let's not assume that people know what acupuncture is. Again, I'm sure that everyone has heard of it, but I'm just going to throw out a, um, a, quick, a quick definition just from Miriam Webster, and then I'm going to see if you have anything to add. So the definition uh, that I found here is Miriam Webster defines acupuncture as, quote, an originally Chinese practice of inserting fine needles through the skin at specific points, especially to cure disease or relieve pain. So like I said, anything to add? That's it. That's it. Oh, my. Well, <laughs> well the Chinese way of looking at it is that it's moving qi. Qi would be energy, right? And the energy is pulling along all of the nourishment in the body. So we would call that blood. So it's qi and blood that's being moved through the system. So somehow, and we don't really know how it works, but by, by putting a needle in someone that it stimulates this kind of movement. So, yeah. So okay. moving, moving qi and blood to create homeostasis or balance in the system. Okay. And we're going to talk more about that. And the one thing I just realized I didn't say yet is that you're going to take questions. If anyone has questions at the end. So uh, you might already have questions about acupuncture, in which case start thinking about them now. Or if we talk about something that you have questions about over the course of the conversation, then jot them down and we will uh, see if anyone has questions at the end. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, Something I, I, I learned, again, in looking at the definition and preparing for today, it said in Wikipedia, it said there's a diverse range of acupuncture theories based on different philosophies and mm. techniques vary depending on the country. I didn't right. realize that. So it's yeah. not, there's not, and what we know in the States, I think, is primarily from Chinese medicine. But it is, but it's, it's also modulated for the, the Western patient because in China, while I was there, I, I got to be very heavy-handed, very strong stimulation. That's what people in China wanted. And um, I got all these, these very thick needles. I got great price on needles. So it's like, oh, I'll bring all these needles home. And I got home. It's like, oh, nobody wants to be treated with these needles. They were just too big. Because really, I, really, I think we, we don't require that kind of stimulation to get the movement of qi. Um, and Japanese style is very, very, very gentle, very subtle, yet still very effective. So that's interesting that it yeah. needs to, it's, it's like, I'm thinking here of fast food, right? We, we always hear McDonald's in China versus McDonald's in France versus McDonald's here. They have to tailor it to the right. local culture. That's right. And I that's never right. even would have thought of that applying to acupuncture that yeah. we Americans, for example, have certain sensitivities or sensibilities or just mm -hmm. weird or just different needs or mm -hmm. interesting. I never yeah. would have thought of that. Yeah. 
I mean, there are still practitioners, Chinese practitioners here in the city that you can go to for a very strong, you know, that traditional way of, of treating with the Chinese, you know, way of doing it, a very strong stimulation. But my patients are not uh, not wanting that. <laughs> <laughs> and we must give them what they want as That's long as it's right. effective, as long That's as it's right. effective. Okay. Yeah. One thing I want to do really quickly before we go too deep also is um, I want to talk a little bit about the history. And this is, I'm just going to jump to Wikipedia because it's 2,000 years old. So we're not going to try to do an exhaustive history of acupuncture. But there were just a few things that I, I found uh, that were interesting. And first of all, the fact being that it's 2,000 years old. I knew it was really old. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just going to run through a few things here to sort of contextualize the rest of the conversation. So again, this is per Wikipedia. Acupuncture is one of the oldest practices of traditional Chinese medicine. Most historians believe the practice began in China. Acupuncture is believed to have originated around 100 BC, around the time the Yellow Emperor's Classic of Internal Medicine was published, and that's a, a medical book. Acupuncture fluctuated in popularity in China due to changes in the country's political leadership and the preferential use of rationalism or Western medicine. By the end of the Song Dynasty, so that's 1279, Acupuncture had lost much of its status in China. It became rare in the following centuries. By the 18th century, speeding up quite a bit, scientific rationality was becoming more popular than traditional beliefs. In 1822, the Chinese emperor signed a decree excluding the practice of acupuncture from the Imperial Medical Institute. He said it was unfit for practice by gentlemen scholars, which is kind of funny. It was restored for a time, acupuncture, but then it was banned again in 1929 in favor of science-based Western medicine. Although acupuncture declined in China during that time, it was growing in popularity in other countries, which is interesting. Acupuncture first spread to Korea in the 6th century AD, then to Japan through medical missionaries, and then to Europe, beginning with France. France was an early adopter among the West due to the influence of Jesuit missionaries who brought the practice to French clinics in the 16th century. By the 19th century, acupuncture had become commonplace in many areas of the world. Americans and Britons began showing interest in acupuncture in the early 19th century, but interest waned by mid-century. In China, going back to China, the popularity of acupuncture rebounded in 1949 when Mao Zedong took power and sought to unite China, China behind traditional cultural values. It was also during this time that many Eastern medical practices were consolidated under the term Chinese, uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Acupuncture research organizations were founded in the 1950s, and acupuncture services became available in modern hospitals. And this is still in China. Meanwhile, back in the USA, the U.S. Congress uh, created the Office of Alternative Medicine in 1992, and the National Institutes of Health, or NIH, declared support for acupuncture for some conditions in November of 1997. In 99, the, the National Center for Complementary and Alternative Medicine was created within the NIH, Acupuncture became the most popular alternative message, uh, medicine in the U.S. So the re one, a couple reasons I wanted to go through all that, again, one, just for context. But two, I thought it was really interesting that acupuncture hasn't always been accepted in China because that it's, that it's come and gone, you know, it's come and gone out of favor depending on who was in power and depending on other alternatives presented at the time. So that was one thing that was interesting because I would have just always assumed that's part of their culture and it's something that they, they've always treasured and it sounds like it's kind of come and gone. Uh, but then the other thing that surprised me was that its use in the West goes back way further than I expected. I was assuming this was a relatively recent arrival, but they're saying it came to France, I think, what did I say, the 1600s or the 16th century, something. Mm -hmm. 
So um, anyway, I just thought that was really interesting. Any mm-hmm. any thoughts on any of that? Did it? Well, um, I know that during the the Cultural Revolution, that you know they needed more doctors out in the countryside, and that this whole um, idea of the barefoot doctor, uh-huh. uh, who used the traditional methods because they didn't have any other way to treat people, and so that became that really more po- you know brought the the traditional. Uh, ways back into being uh-huh, but traditionally also it wasn't a consolidated a w- one way to treat everyone it was um, um, almost like um, a lineage of each family you know focusing on a particular thing you know there were these kind of you know so-and-so you know was good at treating eyes and so you'd go and that you know that father would pass down to the children the techniques and mm-hmm. the, the knowledge so so it had all of these assorted branches to it, you know, and, and was diffuse. Mm-hmm. And after, I, it was pro- I think it was as a re- either as a result or in the context of the Cultural Revolution that they did then formulate this, this one systematized medicine, which we call traditional Chinese medicine. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you were, if you were wanting to go and find some of these more, you know, lineages, you would go to, you wouldn't go to uh, mainland China at this point. You would still find those on t- in Taiwan. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So uh, at this point, you mean today? Today. Today. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. And today, as I understand it, if you wanted to, you know, and this is all actually still after the, after the cultural revolution, that if you wanted to practice Chinese, or no, if you wanted to uh, practice Western medicine, you also needed to to do Chinese medicine at the same time. Oh, you had to have a foundation in both. Yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Okay. So, in fact, some of the teachers who who I had uh, in the school here in San Francisco at ACTCM, they were medical doctors who were coming here, and they all they had the background in Chinese medicine, so they could work in the school teaching Chinese medicine, but they could not work as Western doctors. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, a tangled web. A tangled web. The web has yes. no weaver. Isn't that the book? Yes. Acupuncture? Yeah, that actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, um, uh-huh. I think, quote that later. Mm-hmm. All right. So we just, you've mentioned a couple times that you went to China mm-hmm. and you just mentioned going to school here in San Francisco, mm-hmm. but let's, let's take a step back. We've just talked a little bit about, um, mm-hmm. the big picture of acupuncture's history. Let's talk about Janice's personal acupuncture history. So why and when did you decide to become an acupuncturist? Mm. Well, many lifetimes in this lifetime for me. <laughs> and uh-huh. One of the, the the lifetime in the eighties for me was uh, I was a musician here in the in the city. Yeah, uh, rock and roll, punk, blah blah blah. The uh-huh. whole the whole nine yards for about five years. Yeah, and loved it. It was good. But guess what? What's no that? money. No money. No money. Oh mm. no! Can't relate. Can't, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so at some point, and and so I was doing odd jobs, you know, to to get by. And one of my jobs was at a um, a sauna place. I was like the front desk person, folding the towels and seeing everybody in. And uh, one of the guys there, who was a really good friend of mine, he he was a massage therapist and. And I was I was having to hang up my my mini skirt finally. I was oh, like, no. okay, this is this is time to let this go. I can't can't do it any longer. Uh-huh. And he was like, he was going to acupuncture school, and he goes, well, why don't you go to acupuncture school? And I was like, hmm, well, maybe. Well, how long is it? And he said, well, it's three years because it's a master's program. Three years? Oh my god! It's like, 
He goes, what else are you going to do for the next three years? I was like, well, you, have a, you do have a point. Nothing so else going on. Nothing else going on. Uh-huh. But I had experience using acupuncture myself. I mean, I was telling you earlier the story of, of having this spinet piano that I attempted to move from one end of my long San Francisco apartment to the to the back and pulled my back out, it, you know, stopped in the middle of the hall. This piano was stuck for days in the middle of the hall because I couldn't push it anymore. Uh-huh. But I hurt myself and and I couldn't move and I was just laid up for, for a number of days and a friend finally came over and said, I'm taking you to my acupuncturist. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I, I'm desperate, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. And it was it was miraculous. It you was, know, it's yeah. just like kind of went in over bent over in pain and walked out straight up in no pain. It's like wow. Yeah. Incredible. Right. And then also during that time, since I didn't have any money, you know, one of the one of the guys in, in the band was, you know, I was getting sick and go down to Chinatown, you know, go to the back of the herb store, you know, the guy's standing there, he'll take your pulse, you know, look at your tongue. Makes a diagnosis, can't ask you any questions, can't legally. talk to you, but or, or legally or just linguistically. No, just c- just linguistically. linguistically. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, have the English. Couldn't really communicate other than tongue and pulse, and you know, one basic word like I have a cold or whatever. Right. And you know, you'd go to the front and buy your herbs and go home, boil them up, and it was that was my medicine. It was very cheap. It was like fifteen dollars or something. Like and that. effective. Very effective. Yeah, or else you wouldn't keep going back. Yeah. So yeah. I had, I had, and plus it was, you know, it was exotic and it was like cool to right. like right. boiling herbs, you know. <laughs> so anyway, so I had experience in both of them, and so it was like, okay, I'm going to do this. Yeah. Kind of made made a list, a pragmatic list of you know what? Sounds good. You know, I can be my own boss. I can, you know, I'd have, I could trade if somebody, you know, if the whole system crashes, I'll trade for eggs, you know, it's like all these things. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. So it was, it was kind of pragmatic, but at the same time, here it is, what, almost 30 years later. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it's worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So you went to school here in San Francisco for that. Yeah. And then what was, what was the program like? Uh, the program was a, actually at that point in time was very traditionally taught. So uh, Chinese teachers ma- mainly for the most part were doctors who were coming over from China and wanting to establish themselves here. And so that was a, a an avenue for them to come. And it was very, the first year was just like rote memorization. That's the traditional way of teaching over there. So there And was what like, are you memorizing? Um, theory. Mm-hmm. Theory, yeah, yeah. And then you got into clinic, and so then you had both uh, exposure to just observing in clinic towards the end of your first year and then starting to, to actually work in the clinic yourself, mm-hmm. treat patients. And by the third year, well, you're pretty independent in seeing patients, yeah. By you're the still third take, year. By yeah. the third year, yeah. And you said this is a master's program, so you'd already done undergraduate? Yeah, you ha- I yeah. had to take a lot of uh, undergraduate classes. To, yeah, to, get, to, to be able to do this mm-hmm. as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So you, you get your master's degree, and then, mm-hmm. but then you go to China immediately? I did. What I was did. the China? Yeah, tell us about the, China. Well, um, there are a lot of different programs that you can you know, hook into. Um, 
pretty much there after after you've graduated because the 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 studies are so intensive here so you don't want to do it while you're here but so there are programs that you can go and then then um, practice in a hospital there or you know you're practicing under the supervision of of Chinese doctors and that sort of thing so I did that for three months in Nanjing mm-hmm and yeah. what was it like outside of the school? Just a quick little travel sort of insight uh, into your travels. Oh, I mean, cause in you're, China? Because you're in school, but what was the experience in China? Because this well, was a while ago. Yes. Well, it was, it, was, it was a difficult time in China. It was 1990, so it was right after Tiananmen Square. Mm. And so oh, yeah. they wow. were keeping an eye on foreigners quite strongly. So, yeah. you know, you were observed, shall we say. I had a friend go there. A couple years after that, and she was telling me about how they had to, uh, tourists had to use separate money. Mm. There was a, did you have to, do you remember that? That there was a real big separation. Maybe she was there before that. They had to, to, uh, I think they, I'm trying to remember, I only remember using, using uh, Chinese money. Just the normal Chinese currency. Yeah. Um, were you able to like make friends with the locals and things like that, or were you pretty much kept to the people in school? I lived in, your school? in the, the student dorm, so I, I was actually around a lot of the international students. There yeah. were there were only there was only one other uh, American there. Yeah. So there were students from um, Latin America, students from Africa. You know, it was really quite interesting. The, these were students who who were supported by the Chinese government to come and learn the medicine, so that they could go back oh, okay. to places that you know could not really afford to you know invest strongly in Western medicine, yep. and instead use a, a cheaper kind of medicine. So, yep. so they were there to to learn the medicine. Take if back. someone were going to go, if you were going to go to acupuncture school today. Would there still would it still be advantageous to go to China? I mean, does, is China still sort of where it's at, or has acupuncture sort of spread so much and been adopted in so many different places that you don't nece- it doesn't necessarily have the the corner on that market? Good question. I, I don't. And maybe know. you don't know because you're not going to school now. But right, yeah, just maybe curious Taiwan. If still... I mean, uh, yeah. If I had to do it over again, maybe I would choose Taiwan, or maybe I would choose a different place. I mean, one of the doctors at at the school who I who uh, mentored me who I followed throughout my 3 years there he he was a doctor from Shanghai and he really wanted me to go to Shanghai but I would just show up you know it's just like and it's just like you know I think I want to be part of a program instead yeah, so yeah, yeah. so I I took a different route and probably would have been a better idea had I gone to Shanghai but hindsight's 2020 20. true and again it still worked out clearly yeah it did okay so the last thing I want to ask you about your own personal sort of journey into into acupuncture Mm -hmm. was when you came back from China, you said that you did sort of a 10 year long um, learning with Jeffrey. Jeffrey. So, and it focused on the spiritual aspects. So what does that mean? Well, okay. So, so I was thinking I was going to China to really, you know, grok the the roots of Chinese medicine. And that was not the case in Mm -hmm. this particular program that I went in. I was, was um, left in a pain clinic and okay, I got good with pain, you know, can treat pain. And that's, that's all certainly good. a worthy skill to have. But down the down the hall was a woman who was treating cerebral palsy kids. And there was a whole floor where they were treating stroke. Well, this particular program was not allowing you access to those, you know, to seeing those things. So there was a, a bit of disappointment in coming back and not having really gotten to see, you know, the breath. You were so focused on that yeah, one area. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that was that was too bad. And, and then I came back and went to this one conference, just 
so happened and there was Jeffrey giving a giving a talk and so it's like oh my god this is this is what I thought I was going to China to hear okay. you know and so mm-hmm. yeah he he actually came from just this incredible long lineage 22nd or 23rd I can't remember lineage oh, wow. you know, kind of of this Taoist practice and so the Taoism is the root of Chinese medicine it's and it's you know the Tao which is you know the yin, yin, yin and the yang of it all and so it's you know, it kind of takes that back to, to the basic roots. And so he was teaching from, from more esoteric texts mm-hmm. and getting into certain uh, of the channel systems that were, were not, were kind of glossed over in the schools. And so he was talking about the l- low channels and the divergent channels and all these extra things that, w- that really had not been delved into during my studies in the school. Yeah. I mean, there was just not enough time, yeah. really. Yeah. And so, so you just spent the next 10 years then going yeah. deeper, basically. and going deeper. deeper and broader. It sounds mm-hmm. like both. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we, yeah. we're constantly learning. Education continues, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So thank you for all that. So let's change gears here. And um, we are going to try to talk about how and why acupuncture works. But before we do mm. that, because that's a big one, I have some more stats. Because again, I like to contextualize things here a little bit. And so a couple stats about acupuncture, general statistics here. According to Wikipedia, in the United Kingdom, a total of 4 million acupuncture treatments were administered in 2009. So some of these stats, uh, stats from Wikipedia are a little old, but still just to give us an idea. An estimated, and this again, a quote from Wikipedia, an estimated 1 in 10 adults in Australia used acupuncture in 2004. Less than 1% of the U.S. population reported having used acupuncture in the early 90s, but by the early 2010s, more than 14 million Americans reported having used acupuncture as part of their health care. So massive change there, obviously. In the United States, acupuncture is increasingly, as of 2014, used at academic medical centers and is usually offered through camp centers or anesthesia and pain management services. Examples include Harvard, Stanford, Johns Hopkins, and UCLA. So it's clearly, acupuncture is clearly becoming more and more accepted in the, in the medical community, although we're going to talk a little bit about resistance from the sort of scientific community in a bit, because that's also interesting. Um, but, but so how does it work? It's magic. Okay. <laughs> it's magic. Right. You know, there, yeah, there is no real, you know, it's, clear understanding of how it works uh, there was the gate theory of you know stimulating the you know the pain receptor things and all of this i mean it's just there's one theory after another but there's really no western explanation for how it works i mean it yes it releases endorphins when you when you stimulate the needle is that the the basis for it doesn't seem to be because it's not just pain relief it it you know it's doing a lot more than yeah, that. Yeah, it's doing a lot more than that. So, yeah. so I don't know the homeostasis aspect of it seems to make sense. I mean, it it's from the from the traditional point of view, you're trying to balance yang and yin. Mm-hmm. You know, this the Tao, which is the the meeting, the coming together of of yang and yin. And yang would be the warming, moving uh, side of the balance. Yin is the calming, quieting, nourishing, cooling side of the balance. So it's, it's really a continuum. Uh, and so yang is on one end of the spectrum, one end of the continuum, yin is on the other. And so you're, you're, whenever you're doing your diagnosis, you're, you're trying to determine 
where the person is in terms of this the imbalance between those two you know right. so it's a teeter-totter are you too young or are you too yin or are you too you know don't have enough of either or, you know it's all of these these but trying to get to a balance yeah so you're trying yep. to get to a balance and so that's that's the when you you know some people will lie on the table during the treatment at the end it's like well how, how do you feel it's like or did you fall asleep? Sometimes someone will fall asleep. Well, that's uh-huh. that's the yin really being strengthening. They are really needing to be to work on strengthening the, their yin. So the needles take you to that place of deep relaxation. When you're really balanced, you feel a deep relaxation and a state of awareness at the same time. So the awareness is the yang side, the, the relaxation is the yin side. So that's that's the description for me of that place of balance, of right. homeostasis. Right. And another angle here that I think you said earlier, but the idea also is that um, a, a form this imbalance can take is a blockage of this energy that's our, right. right? And so if something's yeah. blocked, then it's it's creating this imbalance. Yeah. And, that's correct. And yeah. part of it because is... Because it's, it's like... The, there are 12 regular channels, and so it's like a big racetrack. That's how I describe it. And every two hours, the energy is moving more strongly through one of those channels. Oh, really? And so say you have a pain somewhere or, or a blockage. Say your digestion is upset or something. There's a blockage in the digestion. So there's some blockage in the digestive aspect of that that. Uh, System or racetrack. Uh-huh. And so the needles then are unblocking. And so there's the traditional saying, pain is blockage. So anytime you have pain, we know that you have some sort of a blockage. Right. And so the needles then, you're trying to disperse or dissolve away that, that energetic uh, blockage in order to relieve pain. And so, you know, you'll put needles in and sometimes people will feel strongly a point where there's no needle. Well, how do you explain that? Well, I explain it that... It's some blockage along that channel system because you're 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 creating movement, and they they traditionally use the 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 descriptives of of water. You know, there's the water, the river, or the stream, or you know, so of the well. So so you're getting movement as if it were water to yep. then dissolve away the the sandbars along this river system, sure. and then everything's opened up. The, everything's balanced, and that's when you sink into that nice, relaxed state. And along those lines of, of you just talked about, you know, someone feeling something where there's not a pin, for yeah. example, mm-hmm. or a needle. Um, I remember that one of the things is a couple. I have two questions at one time, I guess. Here, so when you're talking about these twelve um, rings or channels, is that are we talking about meridians? Yes. Or is that something? Okay, so those yes. are also called meridians. Correct. And um, I remember that when you would treat me for a particular organ or whatever, that sometimes even if it were for an organ in my, in my abdomen, mm-hmm. that there would be a point down on my foot for that. Right. And so right. Th- I think that's a really good illustration of just how the idea being that it is this continuum along these meridians and how mm-hmm. you might be putting something in somebody, a, a needle in a, somebody's big toe for their liver or for their bladder or whatever that's right. the organ might be, which yeah. is really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's say, well, first of all, what are some of the most common reasons? We've talked about pain, but there are mm-hmm. so many other things that people come to you or acupuncturists just in general for. So mm-hmm. what are some other examples of why someone might come to you? Well, the 
gynecological issues are actually well well treated with with Chinese medicine. So mm-hmm. that's a that's a big big area. Like cramping or cramp yeah, period regulating the period, cramping, yeah, all that sort of thing. Yep. And then into menopause, you're talking about menopausal symptoms, you know, so it can be very helpful with that. Anxiety, very good for that. Insomnia, um, what else? Digestive issues. Right. I mean, it's it, I, it's for for me personally. I don't have a specialty. I don't specialize in in anything. I mean, so so it's a general practice. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Is isn't it kind of anything and every? I mean, any yeah. ailment. I would yeah. go to you for any ailment. I think other than like you know maybe if I needed you know um, chemotherapy or something you know for, for cancer or something. I mean, I would still go to you for cancer for for part of the treatment, not for the entire treatment necessarily. But I, I pretty much would go. To an acupuncturist for any ailment. Yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, I would. And even in, in cancer therapy, if you're doing chemotherapy, the acupuncture is a great adjunct for that. To, Not to, to get m- sick or... To, well, to just to modify, to calm down the side effects of the heavy-duty drugs. Right, right. Yeah. Okay, so I show up at your... Let's say that I have... Um, Let's just use the example that you you used, which wouldn't be actually for me. But let's say I'm having um, menstruation issues. And so I show up to you, to your office, Mm -hmm. and take me through the sort of intake and the first exam that we would do. What's that like? For for me, I I take time with people because I I believe very strongly that that, uh, hearing people's story, allowing people the space to tell their story and know that they're being heard is a big part of healing. Mm-hmm. So I allow time for that. And so it, there is, for me, in my first treatments with people, it is, you know, hearing your story. So, yes, you filled out intake forms, but then it's also just delving in a little bit deeply, more deeply into that and finding out, you know, just uh, refining from my point of view, from the Chinese point of view about that. And so, if I could just jump in, that yeah. was another thing that really stood out to me the first time I went to you and subsequently. And I would tell my friends this when I would be saying you need to go to acupuncturist. One of the things I would say is, you know, they're not, she's not just trying to rush me in and out. She's mm-hmm. actually sitting there and, and looking me in the eye and having a conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's just not my experience in typical West with typical Western doctors. Usually it's kind yeah. of get you in and out. And, yeah. uh, and that was just one of the things. And it's mm-hmm. interesting that you bring that up because yeah. I noticed that, you know, as a patient and I really appreciated that. As a patient, that actually is one of the things I picked up from Jeffrey along mm-hmm. the way because it, you know, he, his his point. He gave a lot of examples of what you can be as a as an acupuncturist or as a Chinese doctor, however you want to put it. But it's more as as a guide, as a helper, not as the person with all the information and all the answers. Yeah, it's not the authority figure. Yeah, yep. it's not here. So anyway, so yeah, and then tongue and pulse to confirm. So so looking at the tongue. Which so is let's very talk about that. Yeah, because that's something that's <laughs> very different again from Western medicine, and that was interesting again the first time I went. So talk yeah. about the tongue and why is the tongue so important. Well, it reflects the the interior of of the body. So so it's very rare to see the perfect tongue. I saw it once. Uh-huh. I saw it once. I was actually going to ask you. Years. I was actually going to ask you. You know, have you ever seen the perfect tongue? I did. Yeah. yeah. And this was someone who was not working, who was, you know, taking writing. care of themselves. Yes. Yeah. Had, you know, was a was a uh, yeah. So had a lovely life. Was good. Life. Yeah. life was good. Yeah. And I actually exclaimed, I have to say, like, oh my God, you have the perfect That's an amazing tongue. Wow. And yeah. then the person's partner came and said, oh my God, 
why did you say that? I'm not hearing the end of that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the person came back another time, and then, mm, Oh, no. Guess what? Oh, no. That was it. It wasn't perfect, perfect anymore. Gone. Shoot. So it was a momentary balanced point. So, anyway, yeah. So, so it's color that, that expresses heat or lack thereof or coldness in the body. It's coating. It's the terrain changes if there are if there are cracks in the tongue or or where the color changes in the on the tongue because the tongue itself is broken up into front, middle and lower or back part of the tongue which mm-hmm. which represents upper middle and lower part of the body. Oh, okay. Yeah. So there's a correlation there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the coating itself is a reflection of the digestive process. So if you have a thick coating, then mm, there's stagnation going on coming from dysfunction in the digestion one of the funny things i read in wikipedia about this also was oh, yeah it what said, do they say <laughs> yeah they said okay so the quote from wikipedia which i wasn't going to read but i'll read because the ending is what i was going to mention but the quote is inspection focuses on the face and particularly on the tongue including analysis of the tongue size shape tension color and coating all those things you just mentioned but the one thing you didn't say that i was curious about and the absence or presence of teeth marks Oh, around yes. the edge. That's true. Why would people have teeth marks around the edge? That, uh, to me, that would just say that their tongue's too big. Yes, but why is their tongue too yeah, big? Yeah, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Touche. It it's is a, <laughs> a, an accumulation of fluids. Okay. And so to the point where you're pushing out against the teeth. So th- Actually, you know what? That has definitely happened to me. Yeah. I was sitting here thinking that. So I have actually suffered from a big tongue. <laughs> but I'm, I, I'm just now I'm just now remembering it's true sometimes that happens yeah, yeah. it is and, and it's that is a reflection of the digestive process as well so uh-huh. so lack of uh, efficient you know breaking down so then the body is holding on to retaining fluids sometimes I don't chew my food that could be part of it. That could be part I of it. I just go too. I Watch just swallow your whole. I'm just I'm hungry and I just go too fast and then my tongue just gets giant. <laughs> Now I know where that's coming from. Now I know. See, I don't know. The, one of the things I do first thing in the morning is look at my tongue. Why doesn't everyone do that? <laughs> that would be that could be really illuminating. That could be a major cultural shift, right? We would have this awareness that we don't have that's right. of our uh, the, that's right. our eating habits and the consequences. And there you go. Okay. See, that's why we're doing this show to help. We're help. We're trying we're to change we're things. Helping. We're trying to be positive forces for change <laughs> or changes for positive, whatever. Change. Wait, forces for positive. <laughs> Uh, okay, so we've, you just look at my tongue, and then what's next? Well, I take your pulse. Okay, but I think there are more than there's more than there one pulse. There are three pulses on each wrist. They and are that was different. fascinating. Yeah, because Western so medicine doesn't see more than one pulse, or do they? Not that I'm aware. Of, yeah, no. Yeah, and so we're looking again, upper, middle, and lower part of the body. So, uh, and one side is more, more, you're looking at, are the organs more dominated by the yang and uh, the other side are the organs more dominated by their yin. Not to say that each organ doesn't have a yin and a yang. Of course they do. You have to have a yin and a yang. If you don't, if the yin and yang separates, that is the point of death. So. <laughs> okay, wait, wait, sorry. Tell me a little bit, tell me, tell me a like little bit more way. about that. Well, yeah. because yang is the energetic aspect of things and yin is the material base for that energy. Okay, so, so that's why you're saying... I kind of like to describe it as the yin is your wood pile mm-hmm. and the yang is the fire. Okay. So so at the point of death, you're you know, you're down to embers or, or you're down right. to having no wood pile anymore. Right. And so the, the yang separates and so you're left with an etheric, you know, chi is kind of, you know, it it's intangible. Mm-hmm. It, it's an energy, right? Versus right. having a material body anymore. Let's talk really quickly. This is a quick tangent. Yeah. Um, chi. Yeah. 
because it seems like sometimes I'll read things that suggest that she is sort of this out there concept. And yet, I think we're just talking about energy, life force, right? And we know life that we're force. energy. We know that when we eat food, our bodies change it into energy. Mm-hmm. It's calories. Calories, I think that's just a measure of energy, right? right, right. So we know we are energy. Yeah. We know that the heart has its own electric system. It has mm-hmm. electricity, which is mm-hmm. the most clear form of energy. So we know that we're energetic beings. Why do you think in kind of the West, there's this, why are, why are we kind of resistant to this notion of chi that we would have this energetic thing and, and we give it a name? I, well, I think there's probably more resistance to the concepts of the meridians okay. of how this energy moves through the, through the body. Um, yeah, I would say chi or yeah, chi represents functionality. So your heart beats because of the chi of the heart. Yeah. The f- so the function of an organ is based on its chi. Okay. But it needs nourishment, and that's where the the yin side of things comes along. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but the meridians themselves, because people come in thinking, oh, you're stimulating nerves. Well, no, you're not. Stim- in fact, oh, you don't want to oh. have the nerve stimulate. That's yeah. a no no. That's an owie. That's a no. big owie. No. Yeah. And so. So you're you're near a nerve, of course, because there's nerve. There are nerves everywhere, but you are not on. You know, you're not directly stimulating a nerve. So there are these pathways. And so how did how did they come to to understand these pathways? You know, this this channel system. That's that's a mystery. Yeah. Um, I prefer the having now you know studied with Jeffrey for all of those years and the whole you know knowing how far back Taoism goes in Chinese medicine and this lineage that he represents and his qualities having been around him long enough to recognize his qualities um, I think that that probably in meditation that the Taoist priests had the experience of this channel system. And mm-hmm. that's how they came to define them or really kind of, you know. Wake up to them. Yeah. Recognize yeah. them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Interesting. That I was actually pondering this before the show and thinking that it was probably something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it has to have come into our knowledge somehow. Right? Yeah. So, so Qigong, Tai Chi, you know, these exercise forms that are, are meant to strengthen the chi yep. and move the chi. So, so people who are very, very good at that, they they project the chi from mm-hmm. their palms. You know, I mean, that's, that's like the energy healers, or yeah. re- is that Reiki? Is that that's kind of a variation of yeah, yeah, that exactly. Happened, yeah, one time, then that was another thing that I was open to but didn't have any experience with, and I was in Istanbul, living in Turkey. And this guy came into the cafe and was a friend of some friends. And, and my friend said, you know, he's an energy healer, whatever the equivalent was in, in mm-hmm. Turkish. And so I was like, okay, you know, maybe, sure. maybe not. He put his hand, and I had a stomachache, just fortunately. And so he put his hands on my stomach, and it was this massive radiating heat. There was no, I don't care, you could put a gun to my head and say I was imagining it. It was a placebo effect. It was like someone was putting an iron up to my stomach. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and I was, again, sold. There's yeah. really there's really something to, to that, right? And yeah, well, these these um, techniques go back a very long way. I mean, two thousand years for acupuncture. Actually, cupping is even older, and I wanted to mention that because yeah. cupping now is like popular right now. But yeah, yeah. But I've had people come in and well, like let's some, tell people what cupping is. Oh, really? Quickly. So cupping is is uh, you're creating a vacuum using the traditional way was using actually pieces of uh, bamboo 
Uh, and so, you know, you would create a, a vacuum and put it on on the body yeah. to to pull, to create movement, you know, up and out. Mm-hmm. So it particularly works well when you have pain, you know. So you're you're releasing the the chi and blood from a place that that is blocked. And again, again. right again, that's what I was going to say. It's create this idea movement. of blockage. So we've got to get things moving, yep. and that sucking um, effect can hopefully get things moving. Exactly. And this is one thing that. I've seen some of this on Instagram and just in the news. You sometimes see the celebrities, like you said, it's kind of yeah. in vogue right now. And right. they'll, they'll right. show their picture of their back and it's covered with those circles. And yes. that's, that's what cupping that's is. That's what cupping is. Yeah. Although that's stationary cupping. I, I personally like to do a moving cup mm, okay. on the back in particular because you put down a, 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 some sort of lubricant. I use lotion, right? You use one cup only and then you, you're just moving the cup along the surface of, of the body. And it's not leaving a mark. It, it can leave a, it can leave a mark, and mm. the marks are 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 showing the stagnation in an area. So so think of it as many cap. You know, you've got some sort of a blockage, whether your muscles are really tight from repetitive motion or whatever. You, you do the same action all the time, and yep. so the muscles get tight there. Well, the cap. Then you've got micro capillaries uh, forming in that area to feed you know, and, and to create more blockage, right? So the, the cups, when you do a cup, either, either moving or stationary, if you get those purple, purple, um, blockages or purple, the purple marks coming up, you're actually, that is, that is, uh, these little capillaries being broken Mm -hmm. and the blood coming up to the surface. It's not that you bleed. You don't actually bleed. No, no, no. You don't have blood coming out of the surface, but it is a, it's a bruising. Mm-hmm. say mm-hmm. but the saying is you have to move the old blood out before you new blood can move in mm-hmm. so healing and nourishing blood can get to an area so yeah. so someone comes in in fact i just had this happen not so long ago um someone who just chronic you know pain and upper upper back pain so i did the cupping and it's like Oh, mention to your wife that you're going to, you know, that you have, you know, not to worry. This is, you know, <laughs> it looks bad. Because it looks bad. Yeah, it looks, looks like bad. he went in and you beat him up yes, or something. Yes, that I, yeah. I did not, I did not beat you up. Yeah. And he, he felt so much better after the treatment. Of course, he goes yeah. home. It's like, oh my God. And I said, but next time you come, most likely that, that will not happen. Less, so he came back again. Yeah. And yeah, we did the same treatment again, but nothing nothing happening with the cup at that point because yep. that blockage has now been eliminated. Yeah, that's interesting yeah. to see the before so and after. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. And you said that's as old or older than acupuncture. It is. Okay. It is. So people would come in from different cultures like Latin America or the Middle East or it made me think of it when you were talking about your trip Turkey. to... Yeah. And saying, oh yes, my grandmother would do this or so-and-so would use this technique. So it's, you know... It's been around a long time. That happens so often, right? Is that yeah. something that we associate with a perfect or a particular culture or time, and then you find out it's actually been happening. Yeah. Other cultures figured it out too, and they call it something different. They do it slightly differently, or but or not figured out too, but it passed along the the trade routes. Yeah, you know, way oh, back right, in the day. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. probably it has more. the same origin. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so the other thing, just while we're talking about things that aren't acupuncture that are that are related though, so there's the cupping, but then there's also moxibustion. Moxibustion. Yeah. Let's just touch quickly on that because that's another interesting that, one. That is a, a a means. So so it's an herb, mugwort. It's particular herb and for whatever reason that herb burns very hot and and its heat penetrates 
uh, into the body. So when one is very cold, so blockage due to cold, for instance. So say mm-hmm. say someone comes in and has cramping, bad cramping due to coldness that's just blocking up the uh, the lower part of the abdomen. So you can use a, a what's called a moxa box. You put a, a little box that's raised above the you know above the body yeah. and it has a screen on it, and you put all this loose moxa and you you light it. Mm-hmm. And so you're burning this this uh, mugwort, and the heat penetrates into the body. So it's a means to warm the body. Mm-hmm. So it can be used loose like that, or in a moxa stick, where you would like a wand, you would kind of uh, light it and then kind of hold it above a, a point that mm-hmm. you're trying to heat. But basically, it's just because of the way it burns, it gets in yeah, better it, or something. It, or? It, it's a penetrating heat. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. Speaking of penetration, <laughs> a specific kind of <laughs> penetration. Okay. Let's. Yeah. This show is about to get even more exciting. <laughs> needles. We're yes. going to talk about needles. Okay. That's the kind of penetration I'm talking about because that is the thing that everyone obviously associates acupuncture with. You right. know. Right. Um, how do you know where to put them? Well, that's a study. That's this. That that's the going to school and following. But it is also palpation. You know, so so you there are trajectories along, or this twelve channel system, and so yeah. you're learning where the points are. Yeah, um, they tend to follow the terrain, you know, of the, of the body. So little eddies around the ankle, you know, kind of these places where the energy would gather, something yep. like that would yep. be a, um, a way to kind of describe that. But they're the prescribed points. And I'm guessing, though, that with with over time and experience, though, you start to get in addition to you've got the academic, you know, um, knowledge from your from your training and your practice. Mm-hmm. But then I'm, I'm guessing that your experience comes in and you start to get a feel for which points work yeah. for. I mean, is there, right. there must be an element of that as well. Sure. Yeah. Sure. How, do we know how many points there are? Oh, gosh, I can't Do you remember, remember off the top of your head. I didn't look that up. Something on on the 12 channel system. A lot on the ear, 90-something points, on, or maybe more. I can't remember now. It's been too long. Okay. And then there are extra points, and there are this group of points called Ashi points. And those are where there's pain, there's a point. And okay. so even if it's not on the channel system, that's considered a point. If you're having pain somewhere where it's it's away from a channel system, well, that's a point. Yeah, yeah. So. What are some of the more bizarre points? Are there any... That would be surprising. There are bizarre points. Well, bizarre points. Um, The first point on the bladder channel is on the inner canthus of the eye. So inside, yeah. Oh. Yeah, because I know the forehead. I loved it when when you do this. Third eye. It just feels so. Yeah. Sure. And it does. It really opens you up. Mm -hmm. So that's the one I was thinking. But on the the inside of the eye, that's intense. That's frightening. So, which brings me to another question, which is, you know... By the way, I don't do that. Well, that's why I was... Okay, again, a variation on the question. Uh, Is there... Particularly in the beginning, you must have been nervous about putting needles into people. I mean, how... You practice on yourself first. Oh, you practice on yourself. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. And so that really helps you get beyond it because you learn very quickly how it works and the the level of pain because it's usually just like a pinprick. I mean, it's a literal pinprick, (laughs) but I mean like a bee. It's not, it's really not painful. That would be the way to describe it. Usually. Yeah. There have been a couple of exceptions. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not meant to be uncomfortable. I mean, if I had known that probably I would have shied away from doing the whole thing, you know, but, but it's, it's, you know, rarely, rarely uncomfortable. Yeah. So those are the needles. We could talk a lot more about the needles, but what about 
when when I first got introduced to acupuncture, one of the things that was surprising to me is that the herbs are uh, just as important or or even more important than the needles. I've heard some people say. So how do herbs fit in to to acupuncture the practice, the overall practice? Well, and do you agree with that, or is that not necessarily that? That's a particular point of view. I mean, there are some doctors, Chinese doctors, who who yes, don't who kind of poo-poo acupuncture actually and and are considered consider themselves herbalists first and mm -hmm. acupuncture second Interesting. i mean um you i i'm you know i would i i can't say for sure if you have to study all of the different branches when you're studying in china you know so so whether you have to whether you could only do you know study acupuncture uh, or really focus on the herbal aspect. So mm -hmm. here, in, to get a license in California anyway, you study both the herbs and acupuncture. Yeah. So the herbs themselves, this is the way I would describe the use of herbs, that as, you know, when one is low in energy, you know, it's like the, acupuncture is a cl it's working on a closed system. You know, whatever level of energy you have in your system is what you're going to work with with acupuncture. You're kind of moving the energy around, you know, unblocking and, and spreading it around. Well, what if you don't have enough energy? What, mm -hmm. what if you're really, really depleted? Well, that's where herb, herbs come in, in okay. my view. You know, and, and traditionally they were thrown into the pot of soup, you know, the donggui or the ginseng. You, you'd throw them in with the chicken soup and yeah. get it that way. And so traditionally it was used more, you know, um, uh, adjunct to, to diet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I'm going to read a couple of things here. So, uh, for, because first of all, herbs, the herbal side of things, isn't just actually uh, plants. There's also some things. Right. Um, animal Shells, parts can be animal, animal parts, parts, which yeah. is interesting, including Bugs. things like cows' gallstones, mm -hmm. which you never prescribed me that I recall. Um, I'm vegetarian. <laughs> maybe that was why. But um, also, this is this was this was an intense discovery here. It also said further. This is from Wikipedia. Furthermore. The classic Materia Medica, Ben Kao Gang Mu. Do we know that? Anyway, some classic text uh, from way, way, way back when describes the use of 35 traditional medicine, Chinese medicines derived from the human body, including bones, fingernail, hairs, dandruff, earwax, impurities on the teeth, <laughs> feces, urine, sweat, and organs. Do you ever prescribe any of that? Ew. Yeah, I know. The good news is, but then they, <laughs> they end that paragraph. They said, the good news is most are no longer in use. Thank God. So there is an evolution here. I, yeah, I'd never heard of that. That's pretty I intense. I had never heard of that. Either. Okay, good. I'm glad that you had never heard of that. No. I'm glad that that was not part of your training. Although there was that one time when I was, I was asleep and I noticed you were cutting my fingernails. <laughs> Suddenly that makes so much more sense. Suddenly that makes Saving so much more sense. Saving them for a rainy Saving day. Saving them, exactly, for your next, your next patient. Okay, anyway, that's, that was a little, uh, that is from way, way back when people, fear not, if you haven't done acupuncture yet, that is not going to be part of what you go home with when you leave the office. Okay, a um, couple of really quick questions because it's already, we've already gone an hour and um, I want to I wanna see if anybody has, if anybody has any questions, please start sending them in. Um, but a couple things before that, though, uh, related to herbs. So you said in your full bio, which I didn't read, but your full bio, you said over the years of prescribing Chinese herbal remedies, Janice has had some patients who are not comfortable taking such remedies. Right. Why, uh, why would people not be comfortable with well, herbs? What, what are their concerns? Whether they're contaminated, for one. Okay. I think that's probably the main that's one the at main this one. point. Interesting. At this point, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And okay. Yeah. The, and it's, they're broad. They're, 
they're broadly uh, impact. I don't know how to even describe it. You know, it's like herbs are combinations of or, or a herbal formula is many herbs thrown into thrown into one you right know, traditionally right. you'd throw them into a pot and boil them up and drink the tea right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now they're made into pills or tinctures and that sort of thing but still there are a lot of combinations in one formula so you know you have to think about are all of those herbs you know <laughs> they got the right herbs in there and how they're working together and all that kind of thing yeah yeah i wonder how those people feel about traditional pharmaceuticals because exactly. let's talk about that's right. things we're not really sure right. necessarily. but Yeah, I think if you went and really dug down into the, the um, statistics on how many people have been harmed by herbs versus medications. Right, yeah. right, and it'd be illuminating. Yeah. Okay, the last thing I wanted to ask really quickly is I had a friend in Ohio who was an acupuncturist or is an acupuncturist. He wasn't allowed to prescribe herbs. I think is that's, that a common thing else in other states that, well, that that's okay. really really restricted the use of um, herbs? I didn't I didn't know that, but I yeah. would say that that California was I think the first state. Maybe New York was the first, but California was one of the very very first to to um, you know legalize. Uh, or have a licensure, I should say, licensure uh, acupuncturist, and and it was covering both herbs and um, acupuncture. Now other states, there's a national board that that. Um, was established that then provided a, um, an, an exam for other states uh, to use. And, and so a lot of the states had adopted this national board uh, structure instead of uh, creating their own exams and licensures. California has stuck with its own exam to this day. And so if you want to practice, if I want to go practice in Oregon, I have to have the national license. Mm-hmm. And so in now I understand the national license you they have they have split it off. So so you can have you can only do get a acupuncture license or you can get an herbal license. So it probably depends on the state. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That sounds like it is now more regulated kind of at the state level even though right. there's the national thing out there. Mhm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I was just wondering if you, because that just kind of shocked me when I heard he wasn't even. Yeah, that. that they've I'm been surprised. doing this for two thousand years. I mean, it is yeah. kind of. That's not to say again that there won't be issues and that you don't need to regulate certain things. But I just was really surprised when he wasn't even allowed to prescribe yeah, them that, at that's all. That's surprising. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Um. So I was going to talk a little bit, and we've kind of touched on this. And like I said. Just, I'm just curious about, you know, Western science's resistance to acupuncture. And, you know, when, when I read, in, again, Wikipedia, acupuncture is considered a pseudoscience. You know, the theories and practices are not based on modern scientific knowledge. Well, we know that. Uh, but scientific investigation has not found any histological or physiological evidence for traditional Chinese concepts such as qi, meridians, acupuncture points. Uh, conclusions of many trials suggest it's not effective. Well... As someone, I mean, you and I have both, you got into it because you had such an amazing experience. Mm -hmm. I, you know, again, I was at my ropes end. I was in a lot of pain and I walked out of your office and, you know, and I've had some other really powerful experiences since then. So I get that if someone hasn't had that kind of experience and science isn't providing that they, some people might have some, some reluctance or some hesitance, but why, um, I mean, do you have any thoughts on sort of Western science's view and in, in, in resistance to... I, I think it's just, you know, remembering back to the first year in school because it, it's it's just such a different paradigm yep. that that you had to just set aside your Western paradigm and 
and accept that, oh, maybe there's, there's room for multiple paradigms. Right. And so, you know, in order to, to move forward and, okay, I'm going to just accept this paradigm as being just as valid. Right. And so, yeah, that's, that's the only way I can describe it. Right. Because at the same time that, you know, were you reading things like what I just read with regards to, well, it's not proven and so, but at the same time, again, as I said earlier, Harvard Stanford, Johns Hopkins, UCLA, so all of these extremely respected institutions are adopting Kaiser, it and welcoming it. You can Kaiser, get, you can get it covered by your insurance. Yeah, and so it's just yeah. it's just kind of interesting. And I yeah. think it must come come down to that. Just the different if you're looking at something just within this certain box, you can't necessarily realize well that you can still look at that same thing through this other lens, right? Mm-hmm. And that it's just as legitimate. But it's just and one thing, going back to the web that has no weaver, which we mentioned at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. He, so he being a Ted Kapchuk, Kapchuk, Kapchuk thank you, mm-hmm. the, uh, the author of the book. So this is just a classic book on acupuncture and Chinese medicine in general, yeah. I guess. It's used in the schools as a It's textbook. used in the schools. Yeah. Okay. So that book, he says, the tendency of Chinese thought is to seek out dynamic functional activity rather than to look for the fixed somatic structures, i.e. body parts or parts of the body that perform the activities. So the tendency of Chinese thought is to seek out dynamic functional activity rather than to look for the fixed somatic structures that perform the activities. Because of this, the Chinese have no system of anatomy comparable to that of the West. So that's what we just got done saying. Yeah, and, and what I was mentioning or, or mentioned in my bio too, this, this, the concept of functional medicine is now making its way into Western medicine. Mm-hmm. So it's just within the last decade probably that that, that same concept of let's look at the functionality of the, of the Western organs and the, you know, how, how do you, you go upstream uh, and support the immune system uh, by providing appropriate macro and micronutrients so that the, it can write itself versus looking for the silver bullet of one pill that's going to solve it all. That's, right. you know, so I think what there, there's now a little bit of opening in, in Western medicine to, to accept this, this broader uh, view. Yeah. yeah. And then along those lines, other entities are embracing this wholeheartedly as well. So for example, if we could just quickly touch on this, because again, I think it speaks to how it is making so many different inroads in different ways, but you've done work with the San Francisco Drug Court, Mm. the San Francisco County Jail, the Olaf Recovery Program, the Epiphany Centers for Families in Recovery. What are those organizations just at a high level recognizing? Because obviously they wouldn't be bringing you in if you weren't doing some good. So what sorts of things are you doing with them that they're able to see the benefits and and the value? Well, the five-point ear... Um, treatment that that we offered in those settings and is offered now all over the world was developed gosh I think it was in the 60s or 70s I I forget now the details back in the Bronx uh, by a western doctor who was working with people in recovery and brought in a Chinese doctor who set up these this combination of five points Mm -hmm. in the ear so Mm -hmm. you don't have to do any any uh, intake uh, in those kind of settings, you don't have time or the, you know, you want to treat a lot of people at once, but this particular five point combination just turned out to work fantastically in calming the body, calming the mind and allowing people to, to move forward in, in their recovery process. So, so that's what, that's what what I did. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so wrapping up here, and then again, we have, we have a question, so we're going to get to the question shortly. Thank you, Susan, for the question. And if anybody else has questions, send them in. Um, but to sort of wrap things up here, um, so I was going to ask about any strange experiences. Any, any strange experiences we haven't touched on that you would mention? Strange experiences. Well, I guess the reason that the question came, I don't know if you, you probably don't remember, but at one point, I was getting acupuncture, and I had this out-of-body experience where... Mm. And the, it was, it's not an experience I've ever had before or since, and I don't know what else to call it, mm. but I felt as if I sat up and I felt physically as if I sat up, like no, no question about it. And then I mm. thought, oh, wait, I can't sit up cause I'm full of needles. And I was thinking I had already done it. And then I realized, oh no, I'm still lying on the, on the table. Mm. And I told you about it when you came in and you said, oh yeah, I've heard about that happening, but I don't, <laughs> no one said, you know, no one said that before. So I don't know if there are any other, if anything comes to mind that... Well, I, I could describe not, not anything dra- that dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was intense. But on the table myself with a, with a little needle in the, uh, my little finger and just lying there very comfortable and very quiet and just in that deep relaxation and feeling this, this wave of energy coming, flowing down the arm and my arm just flinging this needle across the room. Really? interesting doing, yeah what what was that <laughs> but yeah. some blockage opening up and boom it was just it so intense the, and so concentrated or so whatever well, that, the yeah. little the points at the end of the fingers and the end of the the toes are are points or are, are points you use to bring things up and out so, okay yeah. one i was gonna say last question almost last question are there any particular areas for which you have not found acupuncture to be effective Hmm. Or is it just case by case? Tinnitus. Okay. And what's oh, that's the ringing in the ear? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And so you've yeah. repeatedly had people come it to you for that. It just doesn't work. And I think it's because of the cause now that they're determining what the cause of tinnitus is. Um, damage to the nerve, the base of the nerve uh, root itself. Mm. So you would have to regenerate the nerve or something, yeah, which just isn't yeah, yeah. possible kind of, necessarily. Yeah. The, the synapse has been damaged and... Not much to do. Yep. Okay. Interesting. Uh, the last couple questions. <laughs> How has your practice changed over time? Because you've done this now for what did we say? Thirty years. Almost or thirty years. Almost thirty yeah. years. So mm-hmm. how has it changed? And I'm curious: is acupuncture itself changing, or is it's been around for two thousand years and it just kind of is what it is? Well. I think you develop your own way of practicing. And so that stays, you know, you evolve that over time and stay within, within your boundaries on that. I'd say, um, well, I would say herb wise, I started out as using raw herbs and making up formulas and, you know, having people take them home and boiling. And I let go of that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, compliance was not so great. And you mean getting people to do it? You mean people wouldn't go home and put right, the effort into right. it? Yeah. 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 Put the effort in. And, and also it's, you know, upkeep of, of a whole herbal pharmacy is right, a lot. So right. I moved away from that into yeah. pills and tinctures. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. We have a question. Yeah. So our question here is from Susan. Susan asks, what is the best way to find a good acupuncturist? And this is a great question. I was trying to get mm. my mom one and she was asking me this and yeah. I was telling her things to ask and she had to go through, uh, I think she, it was, she had to, I think it was her third acupuncturist that she finally was like, okay, this is someone who gets me and who is effective and, and it ultimately was actually very effective. 
Um, but so she says, what's the best way to find a good acupuncturist? Are there any key qualifications or questions to ask? Most people, it's, it's a word of mouth thing. Mm-hmm. So ask your friends, you know, who they, you know, if they right. get acupuncture and who they see, that's, right. that seems to be the, the, the major way that people come. Um, otherwise, uh, national board, you know, you, you board certified. So I, you can go online to the state certification in your area and find out who, you know, they'll have a list. Yep. And so those two things, there are associations, but there are lots of associations and they kind of break down based on the different cultural uh, groupings of acupuncturists. So mm-hmm. you can go through associations as well. Yep. But I would really say, yeah, ask around, ask around to your friends. And yep. Yeah, you have to keep trying. I mean, some people don't, uh, you know, you just do it until it fits. Right. And, and I think Look that is it, it right? Someone might be a great acupuncturist or a great Western yeah. doctor, a great whatever, but I think there has to be the fit also. And also I would say try to find someone who's close. I mean, mm-hmm. I've really, I've really discouraged people from driving across the bridge to see me. It's yeah. like that's defeats the purpose. Yeah, yeah. So don't go too far. Uh, yeah, but maybe don't. in some places you will have to if go. If you far. might have to, but yeah. then you might not have to. Yeah. Okay. Jan, thank you very much for being here. Yeah, this thanks. was great. That was fun. And we could have gone. Uh, I could have gone for another hour. I have so mm. many questions, but I think we covered most of at least the main the main areas. So yeah. thank you very much yeah, for that. You're welcome. And uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, Susan, again, for the question. And I just want to say Jan's um, website is cloudsrest.com. So you can, if you do live... Cloudsresthealing. Oh, shoot. Cloudsresthealing.com. Thank you very much. And uh, so, yeah, if you're in the city, check her out. And uh, if you're not, don't cross the bridge. There's somebody hopefully closer to you who can... Be your acupuncturist. But uh, again, thanks again, Janice, for being here today. All right. That's all for today. Thanks again. Uh, Thanks to Wordspace Studios for hosting me. They are at wordspacestudios.com. Next week, we're going to learn all about jazz with jazz musician and Savannah Jazz Club owner, Pascal Bocartiam. Thanks again for watching and listening. If you like the show, would you please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review wherever you happen to listen or watch. As I always say, it makes a huge difference. It really does, and I really appreciate it. For more about me, uh, my website is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media, books, including my new book, Porcelain Travels, other podcasts, and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I would love to hear from you at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for watching and listening, and have a great week.